Have you ever wondered what's the meaning of life? Of course you have. Everyone has thought that question before. What's the meaning of life? What is the point of all of this? We all think that question at some point in our life because sometimes our life can feel meaningless. Sometimes we feel like we have no purpose. And so we wonder, what is the meaning of all of this? You know, we all tend to go through stages in life. Have you ever noticed that? When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything. When you're in your 20s, it goes by in a blur. In your 30s, you start a family, you try to make some money, and you wonder, what happened to my 20s? In your 40s, you get a pot belly, a second chin. You start to complain that the music's too loud. <laughs> and you realize that your high school sweetheart is now a grandparent. In your 50s, you have a minor surgery, but you swear it's just a procedure. In your 50s, or in your 60s, excuse me, you have a major surgery. You're still complaining that the music is too loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anymore. In your 70s, you move to Florida. You start to have dinner at 2, you have lunch at 10 a.m., and you have breakfast the morning before. In your 80s, you have a stroke, and you end up rambling on and on to the nurse that your wife can't stand. That's kind of the seasons that we go through in life. And it all goes really, really fast. And along the way, we wonder, what is the purpose of all of this? What's the meaning of life? And when you ask really important questions like that, you have to go to a source that's trusted and reliable to get the answer. And that source, of course, is the duck commander, Phil Robertson. He's actually on to something there. Love God and love others. If you were to ask our church, what is the point of life? What is the meaning of life? We would say to love God and love others. But we didn't come up with that idea. Phil didn't come up with that idea. It comes from Jesus. One time a bunch of people were asking Jesus, hey, what are we supposed to do with our life? I know there's a lot of things we're supposed to do. We should be doing a bunch of these good things. We should try not to do a bunch of these bad things. But, like, can you make it simple for us? Can you boil it down? What's the most important thing that we're supposed to do? And he does that for them in Mark chapter 12. And Jesus says that the most important thing to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second thing is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So if you are a follower of Jesus, the point of your life is to love God and love others. You might say, well, you know what? We could just do that in heaven, right? Like we could go to heaven and we could love God and love others in heaven. 
So why do we have to stay on earth? Why do we have to be here? That doesn't help us here. We could do that in heaven. Actually, there's a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. You might have heard of him. And he says it this way. Why doesn't God just take you to heaven the moment that you receive salvation in Christ? I mean, the moment that you are saved through Jesus, why doesn't he just take you up to heaven? Heaven's going to be a lot better than earth. So why does he leave you here? Then he goes on to say that there are two things you can do on earth that you can't do in heaven. One of those is sin. The other is introduce people to Jesus. And then he asks the rhetorical question, which one do you think he left you here to do? See, if you're a follower of Jesus, your mission in life is to love God and love others. And that others includes people who don't know God. Jesus said to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is everyone. And everyone is not like you. So that means that you have to love people who are different than you, who look different than you, who act different than you, who speak differently than you. You're called to love God and love others, including people who don't know God. You see, once you are in the kingdom of God, your mission is to be about those who are not in the kingdom of God. Once you're in the kingdom of God, your mission is to be about those who are not in the kingdom of God. We're supposed to love God and love others. See, this church is not about you. It's not. This church is for you. This, place, this church is a place for you to come and worship. It's a place for you to come and connect with friends. It's a place for you to come and learn about what it means to follow Jesus. But this church is not about you. You're already in the kingdom of God. It's not about you. It's about the people who are not in the kingdom of God. That's loving others. Specifically those who don't know God through Jesus. If you were to look at the life of Jesus, he is always hanging out with sinners. He is always hanging out with the people who are outside the kingdom of God. And those people actually liked having him around. And he actually liked being around them. And there's one story in particular where he's hanging out with people who are outside the kingdom of God. It's in Luke chapter 15. And it starts in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, some of you can relate to that story because you own sheep and you know what it's like to lose sheep and what it takes to get it back. But a lot of you 
can't relate to that story. You don't own sheep. And I think if Jesus were here today, he would tell the same, a story with the same meaning, but not the same characters. Because Jesus tried his best to relate to the people who were listening to them. So maybe this story will help you a little bit better. I've had a lot of success in student ministry, and I've had a lot of failures in student ministry. And one of my biggest failures came when I first started off. I was 22 years old, right out of college. I had never helped in youth ministry before. I knew nothing about it. And I met with my pastor to tell him that I wanted to start getting involved. And he said, great, you can co-lead this missions trip to New York City. I was like, what? First of all, I didn't grow up in the church, so what is a missions trip? Second of all, I've never been to New York City, so I know nothing about it. And I'm going to co-lead it? So anyways, we went, and we had one day of the week where we were off, and we didn't have to work or do anything, and we were allowed to just be tourists and go see all the sights. And that night, we went to Times Square. And if you've ever been to Times Square at night, you know how cool it can be. It's pretty, there's lots of lights, there's lots of stuff going on, but there's a lot of people. And it's very chaotic, and it's very loud, and it's very hectic. Well, we were having a blast as a group. We were going in and out of all the different shops. We were taking pictures. And then all of a sudden, I realized, one of my students is missing. The head count's off. And for a couple seconds, I just looked around calmly, like maybe I miscounted, maybe so. And then I realized, no, they're not here. And panic set in. And I freaked out. I left the group. I started running. I was knocking people out of the way as I was running down the street. I was going in and out of different shops trying to find this girl. Finally, we found her. She was in one of the stores, just got distracted looking at stuff and didn't realize we all left. And we got her back, and everything was fine. But that was one of the biggest failures I've ever had in student ministry. So with that being said, we have a junior high trip coming up in March that I'm leading. So you should sign your kid up. That'd be great. <laughs> you see, there is panic when you lose something of value. In that moment, nothing else matters. And Jesus told them this story of sheep and of sheep being lost. And how in that moment, nothing else would matter because you'd have to get that one lost sheep back. And when you got it, you'd be happy. He said in verse 6, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then Jesus gets a little dramatic in verse 7. And he says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Now the truth is, yeah, they would be happy that they found their lost sheep. But are they going to go and tell all their friends about the story, how they lost a sheep and found it? I mean, they don't have cell phones, so they're not going to take out their cell phone and just text everybody easily or post it on social media. He's going to have to actually go to all his friends' houses all over town and tell them all this story and get them all to come and have a big party. Is he going to do all that work over one lost sheep? No. He's happy about it, but it's not like he's that happy about it. And Jesus is saying, hey, even though you would be happy about it but not that happy about it, you would still leave your 99 sheep and go find that lost one because it mattered that much to you. And then he says, that's the way it works in the kingdom of God. When one lost person is out there, Jesus will leave the 99 and find that one because it matters that much. 
And when he finds that one person, he's going to carry them home and they are going to have a party because it matters that much. Jesus is to love God and to love others. And somehow along the, along the way, Christians have made the 99 the priority and the one the afterthought. And Jesus' heart does not work like that. He loves all 100 followers, but he says when one's lost, I'm going to leave the 99 out in the wilderness and I'm going to find the one. And somehow along the way, Christians have flipped that and we've made the 99 the priority and the one becomes the afterthought. And that's why I think when they asked Jesus what's the most important commandment, he said to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. They were just asking for one commandment, but he throws in two. He says, because the second one, to love others, is that important to God. And he knows that we need his help to do that. So he includes it in the most important thing. And that means that you are supposed to love your neighbor regardless of who they are, regardless of what they do, regardless of the way they talk or the way they live, regardless of the way they look, you are called to love your neighbor as yourself. And the sad truth is, if you were to ask a bunch of non-Christians, a bunch of people who don't attend church on a regular basis, what do they think of Christians? What do they think of religious people? What are some characteristics you would associate with them? One of the number one things they would say is judgment. The world views Christians as being very judgmental. You see, when people look at the church, they're supposed to see a picture of this. A picture of love, a picture of grace, a picture of mercy, with arms wide open and acceptance. Instead, they see a picture of this. A scarecrow. A picture that says, you are not welcome here. You have to change that about you before you can come here. You have to look better before you can come here. You've got to get it all together before you come. You don't fit in here. And sadly, that's what a lot of people in the world view the church as. But here's where the real struggle comes in. God wants us to love others, but how do we do that when somebody is living a life of sin? How do we love others when somebody's making choices that we don't agree with? How do we love someone else when we know they're not living God's best life for them? Well, we do it the same way Jesus did. Jesus is our example, and the Bible tells us that Jesus came full of both grace and truth. It says in John chapter 1, he came full of both grace and truth. Notice which word is second. Truth. And which word's first? Grace. Because Jesus always led with grace. He never would deny what the scriptures said. He never would change what they mean. He never would try to downplay it to make people happy. But he would always lead with grace. He always worked out of love. And we are called to do the same thing. Jesus was so good at this that people accused him of being a friend of sinners. It is my prayer that all of us could be accused of the same thing. 
I would love for someone to accuse me of being a friend of sinners. Sometimes I happen to get this thing right. I don't always, but sometimes I do. I met a guy at the gym a little while back, and we were complete strangers. We didn't know each other, but we got to talking, and we talked for about a half hour, and we shared our life stories with each other, and we laughed together, and he ended up telling me how he used to be married, and he had, he had a kid, and then he got divorced, and now he's um, living a homosexual lifestyle. And as our conversation continued, I knew there was a question that was coming, because it's a question comes whenever you meet somebody for the first time. And that question is, what do you do for a living? And that's a hard question for me, because instantly a lot of baggage comes with that when somebody out in the world finds out you're a Christian, let alone a pastor. And so he asked, what do you do for a living? And I told him, and immediately the vibe in the room changed. And I can tell he was thinking different things. We went on to talk for a little while, and then he said, you know, I believe there's a God up there somewhere. I just don't think the Bible has anything to do with it. And then he continued, I get it that people have different values in life, and that's okay. I just wish some pastor would get up there on a Sunday morning and tell his people to stop judging others and to start loving them instead. Well, we parted ways, and I started walking away, and I got this ugly feeling in my stomach. And I began to think, man, what judgment he must have felt in his life to make comments like that. So I turned around and I went back to him and I said, sir, on behalf of Christians all over this world, I want to apologize to you for any judgment that you've felt. He looked me in the eyes and said, thank you. You see, very few people will get judged or will get judged into life change. Far more will get loved into it. If you are a follower of Jesus, Please do Jesus a favor. Don't judge. Just love. It's that simple. Don't judge. Just love. I firmly believe that there are people on this earth that have your name on them. You are the person that is supposed to lead them to a relationship with Jesus. It's the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. So we have to choose to love people instead of judging them. So how do we do that? Well, we do it the same way that Jesus did it. We lead with grace, and we work out of a place of love with the truth, but we lead with love. Can you imagine if all of us decided to focus on the one lost sheep in our lives? Because the truth is, there is somebody that you know that doesn't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. It might be hard for you to think of who that person might be, but there are people in your life who don't know Jesus. It might be the cashier at the grocery store. It might be the waitress at your favorite restaurant. It might be a coworker. It might be that family that's on your, sport, your kid's sports team. There is someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus. What would happen if all of us decided to focus on the one lost sheep, just like Jesus would? 
the, our mission on this earth is to love God and love others. And those two commands go together. They're connected. In God's eyes, it's not good enough to just do the first one of loving him. We have to also do the second one of loving others, and that includes people who don't have a relationship with him. So we're going to focus on the one lost sheep in our lives, and we're going to be Jesus in the flesh to them by simply loving and not judging. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and the example that he is for us. Thank you for the grace that you have shown us because we are all great sinners in need of you. Help us to take that grace that you've given us and extend that to others. We all know people who don't know you, and I ask you to put a person on each one of our hearts this week so that we can begin to focus on them, to invest in them, to spend our time and our money on them, and invite them into doing life with us so that they can meet you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, maybe somewhere along the line you've become that one. You feel like you're the one lost sheep. Well, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and that he is on a mission to find you. And so today, if you would like to be found by Jesus, I ask you to come forward as we stand and sing our invitation.